It's okay to care about your profit loss statements. It's okay to care about taking care of yourself physically. It's okay. You know, it's okay to, to care for those things. But when we start to find our self-worth in those things where that is the end all be all, those things change. And when those things change, our reality shifts constantly. And it's not a foundation for us to really hold on to knowing our sense of worth. And so, yeah, I think that we can find it in, in all of the wrong, all of the wrong places like that song and metrics that are not sustainable and ever evolving and changing. The future of work isn't about shareholder value, technology, metrics, or automation. It's about being human and putting people first through actionable love. Welcome to the Love in Action podcast, where we hold deep conversations with extraordinary people to help you grow as a leader and expand your business. Here's your host, Marcel Schwantes. Welcome to episode 99 of the Love in Action podcast, the show where we explore the intersection of leadership and practical love. If you're new here, we're glad you've joined the movement, which has spread to 150 countries around the world. So please share the episode with a friend and subscribe wherever you get your podcast. We're in extraordinary times, aren't we? I mean, life is hard. For so many of us, we still carry the weight and the trauma of the year 2020 with us. And, and while the rest of us are, we look ahead to 2021, we're now in March as we, we, we record this, but yet we're looking at an uncertain future. And you know, uncertainty keeps us in a state of fear and worry and anxiety. And I'll be the first to tell you, full disclosure, as your host, I have suffered from anxiety these last few months. In fact, I had a, a panic attack just last week. It came out of nowhere. It just hit me. I thought I was having a heart attack, but went in, got my EKG, everything checked out okay. My heart is strong. So now I'm facing with, you know, having to learn and apply the lessons of things like mindfulness and meditation and kind of focusing on the here and now and not worry about what's going to happen tomorrow, a week from now, three months from now. And I'm learning that I also need to talk about these things rather than push it down. That's why I'm excited to learn from my guest today, Erin Eddy. She's been there. She knows what I'm talking about. And she wants us all to know how to overcome these demons that we face when we have setbacks, when we fail, or when we're faced with immense uncertainty. Erin has written a new book called So Worth Loving. How Discovering Your True Value Changes Everything. Erin Eddy is a social entrepreneur, a writer, a speaker, and a creative director. She is the founder of the lifestyle clothing brand by the same name of her book, So Worth Loving. She and her work have been featured on CNN and MSNBC and in Mashable the Oprah Magazine, Jezebel Southern Living in Atlanta Magazine. Aaron speaks and writes about personal struggles, community, empathy, entrepreneurship, and the power of honest conversations, as well as the impact of self-doubt on us, on our ability to do work, lead others. 
and she now joins us on the show. Erin, I am so excited about this conversation. Welcome to the Love in Action podcast. Thank you for having me. I am so excited to be here. I know this is going to be a really good conversation. You can just yeah. <laughs> no doubt. No doubt it will be. And I now start the show with that. Uh, kind of a unique question. You know, we we all have these get to know you questions, but this one is about your story. So in maybe a few minutes, what's your story, Erin? Hmm, man, I'm a very complex person. <laughs> Girl, <laughs> a very complex household. I live here in Georgia, but my parents are both from the Midwest, Indiana and Ohio. And they manufactured furniture all of my life growing up for 40 years. So I'm fifth generation entrepreneur. Yeah. So like, I already have this blood in me of resiliency and tenacity. So I they manufactured furniture very much inspired by Santa Fe, primitive looking pieces. And so my upbringing is not your typical Southern Belle story because I wasn't really a Southern Belle, but I was in the South manufacturing furniture from Santa Fe from two Midwesterners. So <laughs> it was very fun. I've lived here, though, all my life in Georgia. I accidentally started So Worth Loving 10 years ago. And within doing that, I've just been in this space of hearing other people's stories of why they feel unworthy of love. And in the process of getting to that point, I mean, I went to high school. I didn't go to college, didn't know what I wanted to do. I was just exploring and seeking. And then that's when I really landed into my my sweet spot of, of realizing that this is what I'm supposed to do with my life is use apparel and create conversations around believing that you are worthy of love and talking about the struggle. Yeah. And that ties into the book. So, and I, you know, I have a sense that just about everything we're going to talk about has a story behind it. So, <laughs> well, the book is so worth loving. Also the name of your company, as I stated earlier. So let's start from the top and then let's just kind of peel layers. What's the book's big idea? And I think you kind of hinted at it already. Mm -hmm. The book's big idea, I call it a formal journal. It's not a memoir and it's not a, you know, self-help, do these 10 things and you'll be able to unlock your inner power. This book is really an invitation for you to learn that struggling is human and doubt is human and lies that you believe that's being human is a matter of how do you face those things? Who do you bring around you that's safe to help you walk through that? And that's partially with my personal journey. Yeah. Is that, and that's what I share in the book. Okay. That's interesting because everything you shared, I can't think of one person who has not experienced <laughs> one or all of those things. But have you found that there is a specific audience for your book? Who is it really intended for? Mm. It's for the tired, jaded, burnt out, burnt out on religion, burnt out on maybe betrayed by community, mm. maybe confused on what their purpose is. I share in the book how while I've owned So Worth Loving for 10 years, I took two years off because I hit burnout and went through a divorce and just was really lost and felt purposeless and just felt useless and like a burden. So it's for that person that's maybe going through that right now. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so here's the, I'm going to juxtapose the title of the book, right? Which, again, is so worth loving to the fact that so many of us identify with feeling unworthy of love. Why do you think that is? 
I think we all struggle with believing we're worthy of love to some degree, whether it's from childhood wounds, maybe something that was spoken over over us when we were seven. Maybe it was that relationship that just tore us down with our self-esteem. Maybe it was overextending ourselves to our team that we lead. I know for me, that was a contributing factor. I paid everybody but me and what ne- never took care of myself as a leader. So in turn, I couldn't really take care of anybody else, even though I was taking care of everybody else. I think it comes from, you know, it could be a lie that you just decided to grab onto that felt like you should agree to and start started to live out. It could be that you had a verbally abusive dad growing up or your mom was completely absent and or that your dad never wanted to hug you. And so physical affection, you just never felt like you were even worthy of a hug. Yeah. It could come from so many different avenues, I think. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Well, as we search for our worth, our self-worth, right, sometimes we end up in the wrong places. You know, we're, as they say, looking for love in all the wrong places. But so tell us what, where might we end up where we shouldn't be ending up because it's just going to make it worse. Where do we typically look for our worth? Yeah. Oh, we could find it in our profit and loss statements. Mm. (laughs) We could find it in status, reputation in the community. We could find it in who we know, who we're affiliated to what we do, how we look, yeah. we can find it in all of those places. And the, the problem with finding it in all of those places, it's okay to care about your profit and loss statements. It's okay to care about taking care of yourself physically. It's okay. You know, it's okay to, to care for those things. But when we start to find ourself worth in those things where that is the end all be all, those things change. And when those things change, our reality shifts constantly. And it's not a foundation for us to really hold on to knowing our sense of worth. And so, yeah, I think that we can find it in, in all of the wrong all of the wrong places like that song and metrics that are not sustainable and ever evolving and changing. Yeah, because the targets are always going to change and we're always yeah. going to try and, and go for the next one and the next one and keeps us in that state of anxiety. So yeah. where should we be looking for our worth? I share in the book, when I went through my divorce, I was stripped of everything. I was stripped of community. I was stripped of reputation, status, finance. I just went through, for me personally, it was like a personal reckoning of just an implosion of my life and burnout with business and some business choices that didn't go the way I wanted them to. I mean, every, all at once, which is like awful. It was just awful. Um, But uh, what I realized in that moment of silence, when I couldn't attach myself to anything that made me feel good, I learned that I was attaching myself to external things to make me feel good, to make me feel more more esteemed and more valued to the community. And so I think where you can find it is ask yourself the question, if everything were to disappear, what would I still be? And you're left with yourself, you're left with your skill sets, you're left with your wiring, your giftings, your talent. Your unique brain and how you've been created. And do you tend to those things? Do you take care of them? Do you talk to them positively or do you talk to them negatively? Do you treat yourself like a burden or do you, or do you treat yourself like somebody that is evolving always, but 
definitely deserves compassion and grace. And you're learning about yourself. And I learned that my self-talk was so negative once everything became silent. And because I wasn't valuing my giftings and my hardwire, like who Aaron was, like Aaron, without all those things, who am I and do I care for her? And the answer was no. And so I think you can ask yourself that question and learn more about how to treat yourself with love and kindness and respect. And you can learn where you find yourself a sense of self-worth in. Yeah. Yeah. Can we um, dig in a little more on, I think that's really important for our listeners to get introspective about what's going on inside them. Right. Because I think that's where the, that's where the work begins is the process of self-discovery. You can kick that in and find out what's going on, get honest, you know, inspect your heart and maybe address the blind spot. So the first section of your book is labeled look in. In other words, look inside yourself, right? I knew this was going to be a, an episode where both of us are going to get real vulnerable. So I want to, I want to ask you, cause I know it's, you have no problems getting vulnerable because your whole book is <laughs> one vulnerable chapter after another. But what did you discover about yourself when you did the most courageous thing in the world is just looking in, looking mm-hmm. in, what did you find? Oh, yes. I found a whole bunch of lies, a long list of lies. And, you know, I call them in the book, I call them agreements because there was a passing thought in my mind that I decided to grab onto and hold it and say, I'm going to believe this. And then my, you know, they, in therapy, they say, the thoughts become your beliefs and your beliefs become your actions. So I grabbed a whole bunch of uh, thoughts and agreements and I just held on to them. And these agreements were lies like, I'm self-righteous. I'm not good enough. I'm not cultured enough. I'm not pretty enough. I'm not smart enough. I don't have enough street smarts or book smarts or whatever it may be that was getting in the way. And I was making choices out of those lies that I was believing about myself. And I had to look in the mirror. Literally, I looked in the mirror. I don't know if you've ever done this where you're just tired and you're just like brushing your teeth or I don't know, you're just putting face, face lotion on and you're just like, why do I look so haggard? It's like you almost, your eyes speak what's going on inside. And when you're looking into your, your soul, looking into your eyes in the mirror and you're just like, why am I so tired? Well, it was because I had this long list that was never, never faced. I had a, a long list of things I was agreeing to that I needed to look at because all my choices were bringing me to a point that was not living a life that was fulfilling and wasn't living a life that was an expression of of who I am and how God made me. It was out of poor choices and insecurity. So look in, I talk about that and it's all rooted in lies and agreements that I've made. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, preach this in my coaching sessions as well, how we have these scripts that run are running through our heads that, that holds us back. So you gave some examples about some of the lies that maybe we're believing to be true when they're not. What about specifically to business leaders? I mean, what lies at one point or another are they believing that are not true? Mm-hmm. Goodness, imposter syndrome. Has anybody that's listening ever experienced imposter syndrome as a leader? <laughs> Hand raised. 
I'm raising mine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, oh goodness. You know, you say to yourself, whether you're like, I'm too young to be a leader. I'm too old to be a leader. I'm not qualified enough. I'm not experienced enough. We say all of these things to ourselves. Like, I'm not qualified to be leading a team of 20, 30, 100, 7, however many, however big your team is. Or, you know, if you get close, if you get super close to your messiness, like maybe some of some brokenness or some not so pretty things or flaws, if you get super close when you are in this space of awareness, yeah. you will disqualify yourself to lead. You will have that conversation in your head. Ah. Say, I'm so close to my flaws. I'm not qualified for this. I can't challenge this team member this when I know this is my personal struggle. Like you start to have these inner dialogues of just keeping you from stepping in to work yeah. of what you're called to do. Okay. So the rest of your book then addresses the, how do we heal from that? How do we um, change our mindset and our belief system? Okay. And you got looking up and looking out. What are some examples now that we can do to get us out once we've looked inside and and made some self-confessions like, okay, I get where I'm at and it's not serving me yeah, as well, a leader, et cetera. So now how do we get out of that pit? Sometimes we want to just be like, I didn't see that. <laughs> right? <laughs> I didn't see that. Out of sight, out of mind. <laughs> um, no, but it, it's, it's so true. So in looking, you know, yeah, I, I, I talk about some just practical things on how to look in, how to just be brave and just own some of this stuff. It's ownership, really, right? It's awareness and ownership. But once you have that and you bring it, I, I believe anything that comes to light has opportunity to heal. Anything that comes to light has opportunity to be mended to. So in Look Up, I talk about bringing all that stuff to light and bringing around safe people to process it with. And for me personally, it was a relationship with God because I was angry at him and I was very, um, I, I didn't believe who he said he was. I, I actually believed God was who other people act like, like what other people act like and represent him are who he is. And I was very burned out and, and betrayed by a community of individuals that believed in God. And so I was just like, no. So for me, looking up was bringing this to God and asking God questions. But if you don't believe in God, it could be, it could be, bringing all of this stuff to a close friend. And, and I think you can do that in addition to believing in God, but bringing it to a close friend, a therapist, getting a really good therapist that's specific to your circumstance. I went to a trauma therapist that specialized in some trauma that I had in my past. And I just, I brought all of my choices, all the things I've become aware of. And he also helped me become even more aware of the things and my choices that I was making. So look up as bringing things to light. Let's just bring it to light and and then let's learn that we can talk about it. And then we can learn that we can extend grace to ourselves. We can forgive ourselves. We can forgive people that have hurt us. We can learn how to really walk in that space. And then look out is how do you protect it? How do you protect what you've learned and what you've brought to light? And how do you also treat yourself with kindness when you relapse in old ways of thinking? Because just because we become aware of it does not mean our behavior our behavior will always change. Like we will fall back into our old selves constantly. And so it's a battle. It's a battle of the mind. So look out as how do you protect it? And then how can you go and show up and be that friend that you needed in a time 
when you are in a personal space of burnout, reckoning, jadedness, whatever it may be. That's beautiful. Yeah. So a, a couple of takeaways from from what you just shared is, yeah, you know, so many many of us are, are in faith faith communities have a false view of of God in in the Christian tradition, right? We see God as that the Old Testament God with the the white beard and the one that is casting judgment and <laughs> on people. Whereas my view of of God is very different, right? It's through the eyes of grace and mercy. That's to me. I, it also translates that to what about the view of yourself and how do you view yourself? Do you have a false view of, of your own identity? So it's your identity of this higher power, this being that's in control of the world. Maybe the wrong one, that maybe the false one, and then your identity of yourself is do you truly know who you are according to how the creator created you, right? Because we may not really know ourselves. We don't, may not have reached that state of self-awareness to really find out who we are. But I appreciate that you went there. So I, th- this, this is great. I want you to speak to the CEO or the, the founder or the entrepreneur because so many of people in high places make mistakes. We fail. And we experience setbacks, which can really do a number on our psyche and, you know, our self-worth. And so many of us in business, as raising my hand again, because I'm a type A, we will push the pedal to the metal even more, (laughs) right? So what advice do you have for people in high places, leaders, entrepreneurs, that all of a sudden they they experience setbacks? What should they do when that, you know, failure hits them for the first time, maybe even repeatedly? Mm-hmm. Mm. I have so many thoughts on that. Yeah. I'll just give a, a t- little, little story. When I took two years off, it's still worth, still worth loving was still maintaining, but I had to take two years off because my pride was really icky. My ego was really icky. <laughs> Not to you know belittle me, but it's just true. I think I think all leaders we all have a we have to have a little pride and a little ego that's healthy in order to think that we can accomplish something. So I just think it's it's just in our blood, you know. <laughs> but mine was an unhealthy version of it. But when I took two years off and I started working for other another organization that was mission focused and storytelling focused and product focused, which is what my business is what I learned is that it will continue on and it will sustain that my scarcity mindset was running me into the ground more than it was helping the business when I stepped away. And I think sometimes when we have experienced failure, so for my my failure looked like I had a business investor, we were just growing really quick. And so we had a we were doing everything in-house, fulfilling orders all in-house and I change fulfillment facilities and some poor choices with contracts. And some things were in my control and some of them weren't. It's just unfortunate choices that had just happened and resulted differently than I wanted. And I just felt like a complete failure. And I just remember when I did take a step back and reassess some things, my initial thing that I did in, in change and failure was do more. But again, the scarcity mindset, like I was doing more, but I was causing more damage. Anybody that's experienced failure and any setbacks, my encouragement is to be still in your failure 
And it's really uncomfortable because you do think that you need to move and pivot and change. And sometimes there's times for that. But rarely do we give failure an opportunity. Like rarely do we give ourselves permission to be still in failure because we can learn from it and we can learn from ourselves and and why, why it failed. We can learn what we think about ourselves within the failure. We can learn how we talk to our, you know, our community, how we talk to our team in failure. We learn so much when we're still in failure, but oftentimes we feel like we have to spin our wheels more because failure makes us feel like a failure. Right. (laughs) Right. And so my encouragement is to be still in it and let failure be your teacher and let failure be your friend. And when you can do that, the next storm that you face, because it's inevitable that you'll fail again, you'll know how to go towards it instead of respond in a fear-based scarcity mindset that will only cause more damage. Okay, here's what's coming up for me. So before you respond, people tend to react and they react impulsively when they fail because they want to fix it. But just to your point is by fixing it, they may make the problem worse. And there is a word that nobody likes, and I use it. I've used it often. It's called surrender. Now, I'm not saying surrender to your failure. I'm saying surrender to the moment and basically take it in. Make it a learning experience instead of, oh, no, we got to pivot and do this right now. And boom, off to the races. And while you're leaving behind a trail of people going, wait a minute, that what? Nobody told me anything. How come they didn't solicit our views or, and opinions, et cetera? So it's just the being able to, okay, so you failed. All right, take it in. Accept it, right? Accept it. Take it in and then process. There's so much power behind processing an experience, whether good or bad, because then you, you get to experience that, that self-awareness again, where you, know, you get thoughts, thoughts and ideas that you may not have experienced if you ran straight through the door to the, the, the next thing and the next thing, right? So, yeah, I really appreciate, appreciate that. that. And it takes a lot of patience as well. That nobody likes that word, the P word. No. And I, again, it's like when you're a go-getter, to surrender to, not surrender to failure, but surrender to the process, like you're saying, it's surrendering to the, what it can teach you is you're like, no, I have so many other ideas I want to do. Do you know how many domains I own? You know, (laughs) (laughs) you just want to keep going. But sometimes like stillness is the most valuable thing you can do for yourself. Well, it's just such a badge of honor to follow in the footsteps of the world's biggest entrepreneurs. We're not going to name drop, but we know who they are that work uh, 80, 90 hours a week and don't take care of themselves and don't take care of their people because it's basically profit, 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 right? And serving your shareholders ahead of your people, the people that are actually building product and are out in the front line serving the customers. So yeah, well, anyway, I want to transition to the whole reason we call the show Love in Action. So if if you're new and you just hopped on this bandwagon, you're going, what in the world have I gotten into? Well, we're about practical love. So speak to the the busy entrepreneur, the leader, CEO, business owner, two-part question here, because love can come from a self-love and a love of others. So what does it look like to truly love yourself 
in the role that you're in? To truly love yourself in the role that you're in, I think that looks like, I think that looks like treating yourself with patience and kindness, compassion. I think sometimes we are worst critics. So what is your inner talk like? When you start to recognize what your inner talk is, there's a difference between challenging yourself. And I'm not saying like, just sit there and just like pat yourself on the back and like, I'm so wonderful, but like paying attention to some of the criticism that you're saying, is it constructive or is it destructive? And if it's destructive, that's going to come out on the team that you lead. You're going to be destructive to your team. That's naturally going to spew out of you to them if you're doing that to you. And so, you know, our motto at So Worth Loving is love you, love people. Fully understand how to love yourself, treating yourself with patience, kindness, not getting easily angered, being compassionate, being, um, you know, but being willing to learn and grow and again, step into failure. And and in doing that, you're able to sit with somebody else that might be scared to do that. And you also might be able to teach somebody how to do that by them just witnessing you doing that. And it's hard to do. It is hard to treat yourself with patience and kindness. Honestly, very easy to be a destructive critic to yourself. The hard part is to be kindly constructive, compassionately constructive to yourself. So if you if you can learn how to do that, then you do learn how to, or then it does naturally go into your team. And I think so much of that piece on loving self it goes right back to what lies are you telling yourself so that you need to reframe those belief systems and acquire a new belief system that would to me speak to the compassion the self-compassion piece is to reframe your thoughts it's not as bad as you think it is and it's okay where you are is exactly where you should be kind of mindset to get to the other side. And I think that's, to me, self-compassion and kindness, right? That's going to be okay. And you are worth it. <laughs> and yes. you are loved. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> As you were talking, I was thinking, well, you know, I had the panic attack. How am I loving myself since the panic attack? So I'm going to share a little bit about that. Because for those of us that have had panic attacks, it does not feel good but it also raises your, your awareness to do something about it so it doesn't happen again. And I realized after, you know, when you go into the walk-in clinic, the first thing they do is they take your vitals. So everything was okay. Woo, thank goodness, right? But then you step on the scale. And I, and I was like, 211? <laughs> so I'm not an obese person, okay? But that's the heaviest I have been for my, my body type. And it alarmed me because how do I get to 211? And I realized, and then when I went in to see the doctor and she starts to ask me questions, are you active? How often do you exercise? I realized I had to get honest with her. On a typical average week in the past, I exercise four times a week. I go swimming, I go for jogs, et cetera. In the last three weeks, I don't think I've been in the pool more than twice. And so I need to make some life lifestyle changes in order to love myself. I have to take care of myself. So self-care, especially in these days with the pandemic and all, our, all the anxiety that we face, self-care is crucial to not only make you feel better and you'll take care of your health, but also it's crucial for you to be able to perform 
at a high level as a leader, as an entrepreneur. I don't know what your thoughts on that are. Yes. I mean, especially after this year, it's so easy to normalize habits that are just chipping away at our health, whether it is not working out anymore or if it's drinking. It's like, you know, you go to the doctor and they say, how many glasses of wine do you have a day or a week? Three to five a week? And you're like, three to five a day? You know, like that's like what you you hear now because it's so, because everybody is wrestling with uncertainty and it's so easy to, again, agree to certain habits that end up becoming a lifestyle. I think that's why I just like go back to, you know, your thoughts become your beliefs and your beliefs become your actions. Within anxiety, I mean, I have a history of panic attack and anxiety and tremors and my fingertips. I remember when I first, it was like 22, um, and I, I remember seeing that I have tremors in my fingers. I didn't know what those were and, and didn't even know what anxiety really was either. And so I learned, you know, in therapy what it was. And, and so now what I see, instead of being scared of it, I, I see it as an opportunity for me to learn more about what my body needs from me to be cared for. And it's an indicator to me that there's something I haven't been listening to. There's something that I've been avoiding or maybe denying or maybe saying, because I mean, we can do this too. We can say, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. And we'll say it's okay until it's a big old, it's not okay. And so I think for me with self-care, it has been hard. I'll be honest, Marcel, it has been hard for me to muster up the energy after I have felt like I have spread myself thin. I've given everything to everybody that needs something from me in constant response mode. And then also trying to think in like future, future headspace mode, vision mode to then go, you know, I think I'm going to go for a run and like do some stretches. It's like, that does not sound fun to me. What I want to do is sit on the sofa and watch some sort of numb out to some sort of cheesy TV show, or I want to go treat myself to a really good dinner and a wonderful cocktail. Like that's, that is my, but if I constantly only revert to that, it will not be good for my headspace. It will not be good for my body. And so I'm, I'm right now learning the balance of celebrating moments and being disciplined in moments because it is a discipline. I think I read, was it choosing Oh man, I'm going to botch it. Oh, it was something along the lines of, you know, are choosing the right thing, choosing the right thing in one time as a discipline, choosing the right thing well is diligence. Mm. And choosing the right thing well over time is diligence. So I'm trying to be diligent about my self care because I can do it one or two times and feel accomplished, but I'm not diligent doing it well. And I feel like that's yeah. something I'm learning right now. That's really, really important to mention because choosing the right thing could be, you know, a different for every person. Somebody may be totally physically fit right now and run marathons, but they, the self-care for that person would, will be something different. Maybe it's from a mental health standpoint. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. Once you learn to love self, right? Self-compassion, kindness to yourself, self-care, getting your mind, body, and spirit right. Okay. Now we have to be able to love others effectively as a leader. So what does that look like in the roles of a, a CEO, a founder, an entrepreneur, where, where now we're responsible for people, employees, and customers and communities? Hmm. Don't you feel like sometimes it's engaging with 
it's like asking yourself the question, do I need to go into like task mode or do I need to meet this person in a space of just humanity, like meeting them where they're at and not task mode? I've noticed that with my team. There've been times where I've wanted to just plow through the tasks and the things and the to-do lists and the big goals and the little goals and all the details in between and and just get the most out of them that I can to achieve this next thing. But what I've learned in just taking care of myself is how much I have a, like how much of a stewardship I have to make sure that my team also takes care of themselves and influencing them. And sometimes that means instead of having a conversation about the tasks, it's leading the conversation with how you're doing and mm. leading it with compassion and wondering like what are like how are you really doing? What's what are some obstacles that you're going through personally and not in a space of oversharing, but in a space of showing that you care. Right. Because that's the best form of equity. I think that you can have with your team is showing that you, you genuinely want them to become better. I want anybody that's on my team to learn more about how to live their life through the lens that they are worthy of love. Because if they are not with me for forever, they're going to continue to do that. If they don't do it within so worth loving, they get to do that within other organizations. And like, what a beautiful thing for them to learn from us to then go out and do in the world apart from us. And so uh, I don't know if that answers your question, but I do think it's just so important to meet once you've learned how to take care of yourself, it's once you learn what, you know, identifying what your self-talk is, you then can start to sniff and see how your team is doing that for themselves. And you have an opportunity to influence that space. Absolutely. You did answer. And because of the pandemic, the lines of work and life are now blended. And it's even more important to show up with, instead of just starting a meeting with the business at hand, you said it best. Hey, how's everyone doing? And don't just use that as a, a formality. No, actually be, be curious and start your meetings with sort of a self-care moment for everyone to check in. How, how are you guys? Because what may come up is that somebody may be struggling and now you can surround that person with your work community, with your fellow peers that you hopefully trust enough to self-disclose, to problem solve, problem solve around that person who is maybe having a struggle in their personal life because now you can, you can say, hey, I'm going to chip in and, and put in a couple hours or I'm going to take this customer away from, from my peer, et cetera. And that turns into good business outcomes. But we have to know what's going on with people first. Yes. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And, and so our team, tactically, what our team does, because you know, we all meet virtually, we do heart checks and we give, we have an allotted time for heart checks. And so everybody gets a certain amount of time before we start. How's your heart doing? What's on top of your mind? And then we can kind of understand what somebody's energy is that's being brought into the meeting. Because if not, you can just have you can get so frustrated or assume that they should be a certain way if you don't know really where they're coming from. And I always listen for clues whenever my team shares what's going on in their heart. Even if they don't want to be extremely vulnerable, they just want to share like, it's just been a hard day. Something happened with my family at the end. Like, and that could be it. But I, it gives me clues to know of how I can be more kind and more serving to my team when I do that individually. And so that's, that's one way that we do it is, is heart checks. And then we have one-on-ones that, that I do throughout the week with my team. And uh, based on the heart check that I experienced on Monday, 
on Wednesday, the one-on-one, I know, should I lead with tasks first or should I lead with how are you doing first? And so. Yeah. Yeah. Have a heart check. How's your heart doing? I love that. Aaron, as we wind down here, tell us about your company and, and its mission. How do you help people around the world know their worth through your apparel company? Yes, yes. I know it's so wild to think that t-shirts can do that. So we, we share that apparel, we bridge the gap between not talking about self-worth and talking about it. We use apparel to do that. And what we've seen over the last 10 years, we've seen people buy our product because they want to gift it to somebody. They don't know what to say exactly, but they know they're going through a hard time. And it, they want this to be just a momentum that is a it's like a gift to them that they are reminding them that they're worthy of love and that they see value in this person. And then we've had people that buy our product because they want to believe that about themselves. And so it's been really neat to see the power of apparel just really transform lives and start conversations. Uh, start conversations. It could be that your friend's going through a divorce right now and you really don't know what to say or what to do. That friend probably is getting 10, 20 books thrown at them of what, what they should read probably podcasts, interviews, things like that, that they should be listening to. But if you buy them a gift that just says, hey, you are so worth loving, no matter your past mistakes, no matter your relationship status, no matter your career choice, what a gift that is. Because sometimes we just need somebody to breathe belief in us when we don't feel or believe that we are worthy of love. And so we've shipped to all 50 states and 30 countries. And it's been just a, a beautiful a beautiful thing to see apparel be used. And, and then we also have a platform called sowardloving.com slash community where you can find um, resources, books, podcasts, videos on different topics on lifestyle to diversity, mental health, purpose, addiction, abuse. We have a library of books that help you uh, navigate more about how to live your life through the lens you're worthy of love. That is fascinating. It's fantastic. I'll make sure to have those in my show notes. Look for the links in there. So we end our episodes. I wish we could go on, but we have to come to a close, unfortunately. (laughs) You know, some people like Brene Brown, they have, you know, hour and a half, two hour podcasts. I don't know how she does it. I don't know how she does that. (laughs) (laughs) But we end with three get into your heart questions, which I know you have no issues doing. So the first one is, what are you deeply grateful for right now? Mm, I am so grateful for the text messages that I've received recently that I really needed to hear. I received like three random text messages this week. And this is very specific, but maybe this will encourage you to text somebody that you're thinking of right now. It was some, they said some things that I've been struggling with personally, just like whether it's doubt or insecurity or just a tired day, you know, like what, you know, sometimes you ask yourself the question, like, why am I doing this? You know, it could be that you're just so tired or burned out or whatever it may be or doubtful. And I had, I had a moment and uh, I got a text message that was just so refueling. And so I'm just so grateful that sometimes I receive messages at the exact time that I needed them to remind me of why I do what I do. Personally, what is really tugging at your heart right now that you'd like us to know? Tugging at my heart. I think, I think what's been tugging at my heart recently is, you know, I'm, I'm 34. I'm like an elder millennial. I guess that's what they call us these days. Uh, <laughs> I'm watching the, this next generation really struggle with 
intimacy really struggle with intimacy with themselves, connecting with others, and finding of pursuing something that is false. And because of social media, because social media can be a band aid, it can make you feel for a moment that way. So I'm, I'm really, what's really tugging at my heart is seeing this next generation pursue intimacy and in maybe some of the wrong places. Mm-hmm. And finally, you get to close us out your way with that one thing, that final takeaway you'd like to bring us home with. Mm. I don't know if this is going to be profound or not, but I would encourage anybody that's listening that is a leader, helps coaches, leaders, go and book an Airbnb somewhere that you can take a 24-hour nap at. That is going to be my takeaway. You have permission to go rest and be still (laughs) and bring a journal with you and just journal whatever comes to mind and go to the grocery store and get some of your most favorite snacks and food and give yourself permission to do that and figure out how to do it. That's like, just do it. Just do it. You have permission from both Marcel and I. (laughs) (laughs) Marcel is giving himself permission because... (laughs) <laughs> the Airbnb one, I am running to the front of the line for that one. So, <laughs> Iron, it's been great. If people want to connect with you, where can they go and how can they find you? Yes, you can go. Um, you can find me on social media. It's Aaron Eddy, E R Y N E D D Y. You can find our company at So Worth Loving, spelled just as it sounds S O Worth Loving, and then SoWorthLoving.com. You can find us there and you can find my book at SoWorthLoving.com slash book. I knew it was going to be a a good, intriguing conversation, but this exceeded my own expectations. So I'm I'm blessed by having learned from you and and met you. So thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much, Marcel. This is so wonderful. We'll have to do a part two. (laughs) Absolutely. So if you'd like to join the conversation and comment on this episode, hashtag Love in Action podcast, we'll get you there. And I'll also be posting this episode on Twitter at Marcel Schwantes and on LinkedIn. And of course, my website, MarcelSchwantes.com, where you can find all the show notes. I'm coming right back. Don't go anywhere with my action steps for today's episode. To make this episode more practical for you, here is what I would personally recommend to be your action item to create some change in your life. So ask yourself the question that Aaron asked, if everything were to disappear, what would I still be? Aaron says, if all that is left is you, you're still left with a lot, your skill set, your gifting, your talents and a God-given brain to create and build things. So the action item going forward is not to treat yourself like a burden, like, like you're not worth it. Instead, treat yourself with the respect and compassion and dignity of someone that is evolving and growing and learning from mistakes. Someone who definitely deserves what God or the universe has to offer because you do deserve it. You are worth it. My special thanks to Aaron Eddy for joining us, and thank you, Love and Action Nation, for joining the conversation. And finally, if you or your company 
would like to sponsor an episode of the Love in Action podcast, you can reach me on my website, marcelschwantes.com. Thank you for listening to the show. If you enjoyed today's episode, please share it, subscribe, and leave us a review on Apple Podcast. Doing so will help more people to find the podcast so we can keep spreading the Love in Action movement. Until next time, don't forget, the future of leadership is love in action. Believe it, practice it, and be convinced.